Broadcasting from Columbus, Ohio, this is Campus Reach Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode two, Keeping a Crowd. Welcome, everybody, to the Campus Reach Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. I am sitting in the basement of Tom Short. We've been preaching together this week. We are rained out in Columbus, Ohio. So we're cranking out a couple podcasts on uh, kind of getting going. Last week was uh, introduction, getting started, open-air preaching. This week, we're going to discuss kind of keeping and maintaining a crowd because what we're looking to do when we get out there we arrive, I usually try to get there around 11 o'clock and I'll start preaching at whatever that changeover is between 11 and noon. And so that is, you know, kind of tied in to uh, open air preaching is when you start. You know, what I mean, you can start anytime you want, really, but if there's no one walking about, you're not going to talk to anybody, maybe you and a couple of squirrels out there sort of thing. But once you do start, I usually try to start between 11 and noon. Uh, Lord willing, a crowd gathers. And what I want to do is go to four or five o'clock. Um, Pre-COVID, I felt like I had no problem going to five, sometimes even six o'clock. Post-COVID, I feel like things wrap up a little bit earlier. I don't know if you've discovered anything like that or not. But between four, four thirty, I feel like is often finishing up. So, but the goal is to go to at least, you know, at least four o'clock, five o'clock, but sometimes your days peter out earlier. So the question becomes, you know, how do you keep people interested in uh, preaching and evangelism for four or five hours? And so that's what we want to discuss today. So Tom, if you want to share any thoughts on kind of that. Well, the key thing is you must be interesting. <laughs> and lots, and, and we've got to be honest about ourselves that uh, most of us can't be interesting for hours. But what I find you can do, people are interested in what in a discussion. And if, if uh, we draw out the crowd and we get questions from them and we give good answers, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with being a bit entertaining in your answers, uh, inflection, loudness, strength of, of uh, you know, voice and volume and so on. But if you, if you hear their questions and you're answering them, then you can be interesting because people will be asking the questions that others are answering and if you an- and if you answer well, then of course that can be uh, keep their attention. However, there's probably a lot we have to talk about different times of the day. How well you answered? Do you run over someone with your apologetic? Do, how do you keep it moving and so forth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's one of the keys. And I remember um, you know last week we discussed meeting you at George Washington University. Um, and one of the things I, I I still think I do really well, but it's almost like if you're watching a boxing match and Muhammad Ali doing the rope a dope and letting somebody kind of punch themselves out. Um, oftentimes out there, you want to be able to like rope a dope a bit, like you, because part of drawing people in, like, because if you show up, even like apologetics, so like in our circles, it's kind of reformed theology and a, a certain type of apologetic called presuppositional apologetics, which basically means some dude standing out there going by what standard, by what standard, by what standard. And it's a horrible apologetic, especially if you want, it might seem great, like you're shutting up the mouth of the fool and you're like, yeah, we got him. But if what you're trying to do, is get a dialogue and actually win the person you're interacting with at some level. You're not just trying to throw some, oh, I got you a question with by what standard. Um, what you're trying to do is draw people out so that they want to discuss with you. And part of that is um, even part of it being a good teacher is sometimes being a good teacher is you, how do you bring the person along from point A to point B to C, D? And that's not 
throwing a haymaker right off the bat. It's, it is letting them seem like they're getting you. It's, and even like, you know, this kind of a Jordan Peterson thing. I think he was, uh, he was talking about mice when you're, uh, the small runt mice sort of thing. They'll stop playing the game if they lose right away. But if you let them win 33% of the time, they'll continue to engage you. And so also like when you're raising a kid, uh, and you're wrestling with your kid, you want to let them beat daddy. You know what I mean? So even if you know you can crush them right off the bat, you don't want to do that because what you're trying to do is bring them along. And so oftentimes in doing the apologetics out there, it is like, I'm having a conversation and my main interest is here's the person before me. How do I bring that person here, uh, you know, down, down, you know, bring them up six weeks of learning, so to speak. And that's not immediately giving them the answer. It's asking them questions and bring them along. Yeah. And I, I, the, the, the metaphor I use is when you're fishing and you've got a bobber and you see the bobber move a little bit, you don't yank the hook right away. <laughs> you let him take the bait and lots of times, if, uh, if 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 someone comes by and starts asking a question, if we if we run circles around them and crush them, uh, they're gonna they're gonna leave. Because lots of times, what they're thinking is, I'm gonna come make fun of this Christian. I'm gonna make this Christian look really stupid, and that's what. The, and and they think they will succeed at that. And in some ways, you've got to give a little hope of that. <laughs> Rope them in, get them involved, and before you know it, before they know it. Uh, they came with this cocky attitude of they're going to make us look stupid. And now they're, they're hooked. They're there. We're engaging and, uh, and you're turning the tables on them. Not so that you can beat them, not so you can win them, but so you can engage them and they can't leave and they, and they're engaging. Yeah. And that's actually one of the things that's most fascinating to me being out there at those times is like you, you can even just see people's faces as they start getting involved. Next thing you know, like someone shows up at noon, they're like, I've been out here for five hours. I mean, they'll even tell you. There's uh, the girl on Monday who's like, I've been out here all day. I've skipped all my classes. And she was even saying that she had something else. I, I think because we we're there till 630. She's like, oh, I have something at six. I remember her turning and looking at me. You're still talking at 630. And she looks at me and just goes, I'm still here. You know what I mean? And so like, but like, yeah, what was it? And for her in this particular context, she was, I would say she might be a believer, very young in the Lord, um, because she was the girl who, um, she had hickeys all over her neck. She goes, look, I wear my sin on my neck. And so her <laughs> neck was covered with hickeys. Um, but she was, but like, and that was even one of the things like, so here's a young girl who has hickeys all over her neck, but is fully engrossed in everything that's going on, everything we're saying. And was just like, I agree with you guys. And, and it is, it's like one of those things, like, how do we bring her along? It's either we look at her neck, like, oh, you horrible person, look at your neck. Or it's like, she's just taking in even us being opposed, us laying out answers. And she's like, I agree with you guys. What do I do? And that sort of instance in this girl, particularly, like, you're just like, there's just discipleship needs to be needed. There's some people in her, like need to come into her life and help her point her in the right direction. Whereas right now she just kind of broadly agrees. Um, and that day of her just looking at all the interactions, all the debate, everything that took place at the end of the day, her faith was more than when it started. And then I went out there yesterday. I was not with Tom yesterday when I returned to that campus. And she was there all day and she shakes my hand. She's like, agree with everything you say. I don't know if she really knew everything I said, but but she agreed. And and that's even part of it is you are out there for believers and unbelievers. Yeah. Obviously, I'm hoping to evangelize. But one of the things you want to do is even encourage the saints. We, have, we do have answers to these things. You show up to the university. The assumption is... Christians are backward, stupid, da 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 da, and you know when when I, when I reach a certain point, if the crowd's a little bit uh, bubbly with me, and I don't feel like they're giving me good answers, just kind of attacking me. That that's when I feel a little more comfortable, like you uncircumcised Philistines. Where I'm like, look, standing out here is a few million dollars of education, all this money. I'm just a backwards preacher. Like you guys should be able to, you guys should be able to make the easiest argument. It's a layup. 
to, to shut me down. And like, all you guys do is make fun of my height or make fun of the gray of my beard. You know what I mean? Everything, but actually address the real issues. And, and that there is a, so there's a little bit of place where I do want to push and, and maybe taunt a little bit, but that's after a, a day's work of seeking to lay out answers. And what they're left with is, all right, let's just have an ad hom against the guy, but I don't want to start off at the taunt and the, and the fight. Uh, I want to try to bring them along the best yeah, I can. Yeah. I think it's important to realize too, also, like one of my methods here, and I'm sure it's yours as well, is we're witnessing to one person. We're discussing with one person, but the whole crowd is listening. Mm-hmm. And that, and that is, uh, and sometimes you won't win the, just like when Jesus was with the Pharisees. Lots of times I think he confronted the Pharisees for the sake of his disciples and for the sake of the, the other people out there. Sometimes we don't win that person who's boldly standing up against us. But what we, what we do is we draw a line and basically challenge people, do you want to stand with him or do you want to stand with us? That's what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't, the blind, they're the blind leading the blind. Don't, don't follow them. And, and, uh, and I think that Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal and the, the children of Israel. Would They were hesitating between two opinions. Will they serve the Lord or what? And basically, there was a confrontation, the 450 prophets of Baal, Elijah, and which one would prevail? And the people came, when when he prevailed over those prophets, the people came to him. He was seeking to win the people, wasn't seeking to win the prophets. And so we obviously want to win everybody. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it is a matter of uh, showing that the people who raise up against us what they're saying doesn't work. Yeah. And we're calling the rest of the audience. And so we never lose sight of there's a whole audience listening here. And those are the people we're trying to win. Yeah. And I think that's even one of the interesting dances that you're doing. So last week I was uh, in Indiana and there was a church with me. And it was earlier in the day. And I wish I could remember better what I said. But like they asked, they're like, oh, you're a little more punchy today. So like the so the first three days were just phenomenal. Crowd gathers, very humble, great questions. And you're just able to maintain. But this day particularly, like two kind of like foolish mockers showed up right off the bat and just immediately – you know, and so I was a little more, you know, why were you more punched with them? I was like, because they were showing up much more hard hearted. And I was like, all right, well, I am going to use you guys to get my crowd. Do you know what I mean? It really is like, all right, I'm not going to win you guys. And so, the, and then from there, once the crowd gathered, I would transition to the rest of the crowd. You know what I mean? So, all right, thank you. Like, it was actually I stole it from Jed years ago. I remember him poking these two guys and the whole crowd grows. And then, uh, he, and at the end, after them going back and forth with him for an hour, and uh, he goes, oh, thank you, boys. I didn't mean to use you. And uh, I was like, yes, you did. Yeah, that was, that was exactly your intent. And so anyway, you're like, okay, we'll use me in the crowd. And that's one of the things I'm, we're looking for. And we often get, our, I'll often get asked this question. I haven't preached with you enough to, but I'm sure you get it as well, is why did you say this to that person? And why didn't you say that to that person? Because you'll have two different people come up who ask a question. We all know the kid in class who asked a question with, Oh, teacher, what about, what about, what? And it's, and it's not, he's not trying to learn. He's just trying to get the teacher or be a jerk or a smart aleck. Then you have the person who's like, I don't understand. You know what I mean? And those are two radically different sets of people. So the Pharisees come to Jesus with, in pride, uh, say the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, two totally different attitudes. So when I'm out there preaching, so for example, yesterday, um, and in this context, I can't give a good answer, uh, but basically the girl, 
publicly suggested she was abused in the church. So, you know, where's God? And, I, you know, at that point, I was like, you know, I, I can't really address it out here, but I can just say that uh, what happened is evil. Um, the, uh, you know, and the, and the question is, yeah, I think it's a reasonable question to ask, where is God? And all through the scriptures, as they're suffering, they are often asking God, where is he? So in that context, you know, I can't get into the background of all what's happened to her. But that's the sort of thing like, okay, I'm answering her question because she's, and she even kind of nodded like, okay, thank you. Like, uh, like I'm trying to give her some level of understanding. Like, look, there's a hundred people here. I can't, I don't want to delve into your life in front of everybody. You don't want your life exposed. You're willing to expose that one level, but I want to be able to give her an answer that's hopefully gracious, kind, also speak to the other people. But then you have the guy who's what about, what about, what about? And my answers to him more often than not, and, and you can sometimes see those people subjectively get softened as you're giving answers or whatever. But even as I'm interacting with him, I'm actually much more speaking to the people who are quiet off on the sides. If you have a hundred people there, you have 15 mockers. That's a pretty good segment of the population. 15% is mocking, but you know, it's, it's like your normal distribution curves. You have, you know, you have your bulk of people in the middle. You have the people who are genuinely really interested in the people over here who just, no matter what you say. So as I'm interacting with them, that's often, all right, I try to read where are they coming from with their question, and that's going to influence how I give an answer, which includes them as well as the larger crowd. I think we we need to be discerning of the person who's coming to us. What are they like? Now, and I want to mention something here that uh, I was taught years ago that Jesus was really hard on religious people. He was really gentle and gracious with sinners. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's an accurate discernment. I think Jesus was really hard on self-righteous, proud people, and he was very gentle and gracious with those who were humble, broken, and and repentant. In our day and age, the most self-righteous people usually are atheist, LGBT people. Mm -hmm. God made me this way. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I've got, and the very word to describe them, pride. Mm -hmm. And and so we think, why, why you shouldn't be strong with them because they're the sinners, no, Jesus was strong and rebuked and and really uh, went to battle with those who were self-righteous and proud. In Jesus' day, it was the Pharisees and Sadducees. In our days, the ones who are the most self-righteous and proud often are some of the worst sinners on yeah, campus. the humanists, yeah. And the ones who are the most humble and broken often are the religious people. Mm-hmm. And But they, they just don't know their way of salvation or they they're, they they are... Uh, they just need help. They just need some instruction. So we want to be discerning, stronger with the proud and the self-righteous and reproof and gentle and kind, gracious with those who are humble uh, and, and receptive. Yeah. And that kind of gives me one of my, one of my favorite little lines. I'm, uh, you know, it's not, I doubt it's original to me, but um, when I'm preaching on campus and you, know, you start to get the business from somebody and someone gives you that, if Jesus was here, he'd be out here with prostitutes, tax, he'd be out here with sinners. I go, I know that's why I'm at your university. And they're all like, ah, and they get mad, but it gives you one of two things. So even when they get mad over that, you're like, well, that's my point. You think they're the sinners. You think it's those people over there and you guys, here you are, you know, you're promiscuous, you're drunks, you're liars, you cheat in school and other people are the sinners. That's how bad you are. And, and so it gives you an opportunity to share the gospel. You get a little bit of a joke, um, but it's also serious because like they, they either get mad or they do laugh, but it's is like, yeah, that's the reality. But the, and that's the gospel is like the, the real challenge out here today is you guys are actually self-righteous. And even a young man at the end of the day yesterday, um, 
we were talking, uh, you know, sharing the gospel. I was like, when I was 17 years old, part of what brought me to the gospel, I had a friend commit suicide. I was like, I'm going to be good. And the more I devoted myself to being good, I just realized I wasn't. He's like, yeah, I devoted myself to being good. And I realized I am. I was like, well, you know, that's the chasm. You know what I mean? Like, if you realize you are, I was like, I don't think you've taken goodness seriously enough. But if that's your conclusion, Jesus says, I did not come for the righteous, but the unrighteous. I did not come for the healthy, but the sick. So I'm actually, I'm out here for the unrighteous and your disposition is that of the righteous. And that's, and even like that sort of rebuke, you know, you, you, and other people are there to get listen in and they get to hear the gospel. So there's a rebuke to a particular guy there and the rest of the crowd gets to hear the gospel of like, you know, if you're, if you're broken, like we have nothing but grace to preach to you, but if you're proud, you know, we have God's opposition. Yeah. Yeah. Another way I think we're interesting is to speak about a multitude of topics. Now the Bible has the Bible speaks about everything, mm-hmm. and I I happen to believe that any topic that that people could bring up that can relate to the Bible, and so I tell them I'm willing to talk about anything that comes up as long as it relates to the Bible. If it's not related to the Bible, you know I'm probably not going to go there. If you want to know who I think is going to win the game this week, mm-hmm. uh, I may give you my idea, but we're not going to spend much time on it. Mm-hmm. What we're going to talk about is Scripture and. The campus is the marketplace of ideas. These people in their classes, they're being exposed to many, many different ideas. Their worldviews being shaped. And I think part of what makes what we do interesting is we bring a Christian worldview. We bring the gospel, but our gospel is expansive. Our gospel is big. Our gospel relates to all of life. And when we are addressing life questions with the foundation of Scripture, the foundation of the gospel— and we're, and we can, we may talk about economics. We may talk about the family. We may talk about, uh, public policies. We may talk about, um, uh, well, obviously their, their moral life and so on. That's what makes what we do interesting. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to be a good campus preacher, you got to be well read, got to be rich in the scriptures. You got to be a good thinker. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you don't get all that overnight. You don't have all that before you start. But you you have to give yourself to really understanding and being able to speak with confidence on the biblical issues, addressing whatever they want to talk about. Yeah, I think that is one of the keys. Are, like, if you want a campus preach, are you interested in the world? Like, just and that was one of the things that was interesting. When I became a believer, I suddenly got interested. Like, what's true? What's reality? Like, what's what's going on? So, so becoming a Christian actually opened up the world to me. Of like, I want to understand what's going on, and that and it's that sort of thing. Like the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof is how I start because in a sense, every topic, like you just said, is actually related to that. Everything that people are thinking about, be it political, be it economic, be it male, female, be it sex, be it marriage, all these things are under his lordship and his word speaks to it. And so if you just narrow the gospel down in a very narrow sliver, even one of the difficulties I had yesterday was a young man just wanted the gospel to be like, just invite Jesus into your heart and nothing else matters. So the, the you know, these kids are in open rebellion and they're this, that, and the other. And well, if you invited Jesus, don't, don't worry about anything. And so his gospel actually is, it really is just basically fire insurance. You know what I mean? And, and so if the gospel, and so what's interesting to me, and I think is kind of a broader problem in kind of evangelical thinking is, so we, we read the creation account simply in terms of Darwinism. So Darwin's the backdrop. We read that, but we don't really have a creation theology of what does it look like to go work for six days and take a day of rest or male, female, and sex. Like we, those are kind of there a little bit in the background in, in so much they're an apologetic against Darwinism, but it hasn't been like, okay, what does it mean to be a male? What does it mean to be a female? Why did God make us male and female? And how do we have a robust creation theology? But if we're 
excuse me, rooted in uh, creation, and then even God himself took on flesh, and then we're going to have the resurrection body. So suddenly the whole physical world matters from the very beginning of creation to the resurrection to the incarnation. And once you begin to think about those things a bit more deeply, what you realize is like, I can talk to anybody. You know what I mean? And almost any issue that someone's wrestling with um we can we can apply the gospel too. Here's how Christ's lordship applies to it. Here's how his atonement deals with that. Here's how his resurrection gives you freedom over it, whatever it is. And, and so suddenly, yeah, that vastness of the world that the Lord has made, we can talk to every issue those students are studying. If we're well-read and we're willing to put the time in, um, we're able to interact with basically anyone on a college campus. Now, and I might add, a discussion like that isn't likely to draw a crowd. Mm-hmm. But what happens in the day is people come out and they, they may laugh to start and they may mock and it might be a little wild at first. But as the day goes on and we move the discussion towards the type of thing that you were just talking about and how how to see life, how to see our lives, how to see the world, it is amazing how people who an hour before were saying they're atheist or they're LGBT or they're or they you know all these anti-Christian things are sitting there drinking in listening attentively and processing what we're saying. Mm-hmm. The Christian worldview, uh, as we reason with them, as we as we explain it, as we give it to them, they've never seen anything like it. They think often of Christians as, again, non-thinking people, all we think about is going to heaven someday. And they don't understand the implications of, of uh, the kingdom of God and of Jesus Christ and his lordship on all of life. And when they hear us living it and explaining it, some of these people who were mocking are just sitting there quietly and mm. drinking it in and listening. I think it's an awesome thing to see when that happens. Yeah, it really is one of the most amazing things is when you're sitting there preaching and someone shows up, they're hard in, and by the end of the day, you're just like, they like you. You know what I mean? Like they they're gen- out of your hand. Yeah, they genuinely like you. And and that that we're able to accomplish that one by by being thoughtful. That like, no, we do care about the things you care about because ultimately God cares about the things like at one level that you care about, assuming it's not wanton rebellion, but even in your rebellion, he cares about uh, what you're doing, what you're engaged in. And that, yeah, it's probably one of the most freeing things in preaching the gospel and feeling comfortable. Like, you know, we can, we can, without a Jesus juke, you can make, make any issue almost about the gospel. You know what I mean? Without some crazy Jesus juke getting in there. But it's like, yeah, this deals with creation. And even, you know, in our culture where marriage is disintegrating, where you want the gays to get married, the straights don't. And uh, well, what is marriage? It's a deconstruction of creation. So what's going on as they deconstruct gender and all that sort of stuff? It's, you know, just basically Satan lying about creation and totally trying to overturn that. And what, we're, and what we're trying to do is reconstruct, bring us back there. But the only way we can get back there, the garden, is through the death, the bone, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's what we're seeking to lay out all day long. And and that's a and anyway, that's a one of the things that appeals to me the most about what I get to do is like I just think about the world and then think about that stuff. I get to yeah, I get to relate creation back to redemption and to consummation. And that's what we're trying to lay out for these students yeah. all day long. You know, in 2 Corinthians 10, it says, we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And 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 believe it or not, when we do that, a lot of people are very interested in it. Now, some get angry at it when we destroy their speculations and we tear down their thoughts raised up against the knowledge of God. But there's others, they know what they've got's not working. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and if we... If we approach them properly and with interest and we, we, we get on their turf and we talk about these things, uh, we can be sitting there destroying their speculations, tearing down their worldly humanistic thoughts 
And they're just sitting there listening, 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 and not even realizing maybe quite what we're doing because there is a hunger. What we, what we offer really is what people want. I often say when people ask, what are you trying to accomplish out here? Why are you even doing this? <laughs> Five times a day at yeah. least. And I tell them, you know, here's my goal for you. I have three goals for the people. Number one, I say, I hope you find your calling in life. And they want that. I say, many of you are just seeking a career or you're seeking to make money. If you want your life to be satisfied, find out why God Almighty put you on this earth. Find your calling in life. And number two, I talk about the family. We talk a lot about the family. Mm-hmm. People want want a family. They want to be loved. They want to figure it out. They're, they're at a stage of life. They're trying to figure out who, they're, who they love, who they're going to be with. Many of them are just so wildly misled, and, and particularly in this day with all the LGBT confusion and everything. And the the uh, confusion of lust and love and so forth, but that's what they want. And when they when they realize that that we're there to help them find that, and to talk about that, and you say, wait a minute, I thought you only talk about that in the church. Just give these people the gospel. No, this is how you're meeting real genuine needs they have, and showing them how Scripture and how God is the answer to this that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And my third goal for them is that they might have, that they might know God in the same way I do. And I find when I say that to students, you're calling in life, find the right partner and have as happy family as I've had and, um, and find, and find and know God in, in a way like I do. I find people say, yeah, I'd like that. Mm-hmm. I'd like that. Yeah. And I, uh, we'll, we'll just, there are two, two things you want to say and they're kind of, we'll, we'll discuss them in later, uh, I wish I remember exactly how you worded it, but it made me think of Paul writing Timothy's and where he says, watch your life and your doctrine closely, not only save uh, yourself, but those who listen. So we'll, we'll talk about the character of a preacher in the next episode, then kind of wrapping up the day and concluding uh, in the fourth episode. Um, but yet when you're talking there, that I think that's one of the things is like, we're often afraid. Yeah. Like we, we, we when we reduce the gospel down, just your soul going to heaven, it, it actually negates creation negates the incarnation, negates the resurrection. And it does just kind of make Christianity like a fire insurance type of thing rather than something that you get to engage the Lord. This even in a very practical way, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. So if you're understanding the gospel, yeah, it is tying out into your family and wives submit to your husband as unto the Lord. And, um, and, I, and it is amazing on those practical aspects because even yesterday I was spending quite a bit of time and even over the past year, and I've told this story in other contexts of uh, and the day it hit me was basically on the family. I, I don't have a family, but you can still observe families and you see healthy families. You see the fruit of people having bad families. I was preaching at the uh, University of Kansas, I believe, or KU, Kansas U or University of Kansas? One of, KU. KU. And uh, a girl there with the blue hair peppering me and um, you know, she said the Bible's unjust. And I wanted her to go away. And she made, made a comment, the Bible's unjust because you can stone adulterers. I said, I think it's a great thing you get to stone adulterers. Uh, if we're willing to put to death someone who commits treason against the state, how much more man commits treason against his family? Rips Apart his wife, rips apart his kids, uh, rips apart another wife, uh, another family, other kids, and then you know seven eighty percent of our men in jail come from fatherless homes. I was like, so uh, the man who commits adultery, uh, he's the treason against his family is greater than the treason against the state. I think the uh, the, the family is more important. And uh, she just shut up and listened for the next two hours. And and there she was. And and so like even that reality, like here's God's law that someone wanted to mock and push back. And so why is even in a sense that law right there? What is God doing with that law? And it's not being an ogre type of thing, but ultimately the man who commits treason against his family is saying, here's how Yahweh treats his bride. You know what I mean? And so God is not like that. God is faithful. The unfaithful man is doing horrible theology in the process. 
So even as we begin to think through, as you read the Old Testament and people are going to bring up all these verses that are going to be like pseudo embarrassing to you, or at least in our Western liberal uh, liberal democracy, we're going to be like, oh no, I can't believe that. How can you think through those verses as being good news? You're going to get the slavery objection. You're going to get the adultery objection. You're going to get the stoning of the disobedient child objection. So how do you, and like, we're not going to answer that today, but what you want to do is as you are going to preach the gospel to these people is how is that actually somewhat good news? And oftentimes in certain street preaching circles, the law is simply presented as being a bad thing. It's just something that beats you up. And so there's no gospel to it. And, you know, I'm not confusing categories, blah, blah, blah. But, but what you, yeah, you want to be able to be like, here's what God's doing in his law. It's not just because he's some capricious being barking commands from on high. He loves the family because ultimately, you know, male, female, everything that's going on there is somewhat reflective of his redemptive history. And when we break those things down, we should expect the fam- people to go sideways when dad is this or mom is this, which is contrary to what the Lord has done. So as we think through evangelism and the conversations we're having on campus, all of those things I find people want to have a discussion about. And uh, and you're able to keep people there three, four, five hours uh, because they want to engage on those topics. And we just need to be thoughtful about them. Yeah. yeah. And I, I want to reiterate what you just said is a lot of people are ashamed and embarrassed about the Bible. They, we, we believe it's great to get to heaven. <laughs> we believe it's got a lot of good teachings in it, but there's things in it we don't understand, and we're embarrassed about it. We're embarrassed about uh, some of the law that you mentioned. Some of us are, some people are embarrassed about uh, you know science that's proven the Bible, and we say uh, we don't witness. People don't witness because I hope nobody asks me one of those questions <laughs> I can't answer. Listen, start in your own heart of hearts by loving God, loving His Word, loving His law. And saying, if there's something in there that embarrasses me, it's probably because I don't understand it. And I need to understand. I need to figure it out and, and be able to, to, to not just arrogantly say it's always right, but to realize how all of God's commands are given in love and they're for our good. And, um, and as we begin to really believe that and see that, then we won't be ashamed of the scripture and we can give it with confidence. And that is interesting mm-hmm. because we're, you know, something that makes things interesting is when people hear something they've never heard before. And as an outdoor preacher, we, we need to be interesting. We've said that. One way we're interesting, we answer questions. But can you say something that people haven't already heard before? They've heard the objections. They've heard, they've heard God loves you. They've heard Jesus about church. But what people haven't heard is intelligent, wise, reasonable answers about why the Bible's true, and that's new. And if you can tell some people something they haven't heard before, and you've thought of it from another angle, you'll be interesting, including two Christians. Mm-hmm. Because you know what? I'm going to tell you, most of the people out there, most of the Christians on campus who say, Jesus is in my heart, and I know I'm going to heaven, there's still a lot of the Bible they're embarrassed about because they don't understand it. And if we provide answers, they'll just drink it up. They'll love it. Mm-hmm. And even, yeah, and I, I think the the comment, like, I remember very early on in my Christian life, I, I was just triggered at the idea that's the Old Testament. Like, I don't, I didn't have any theological reasons why. All I knew is I was, I hated when people say, oh, that's the Old Testament. And uh, I was on a campus crusade for Christ summer project. And at the end of the, and I would just rant and rave. Like, I, I'd, I'd be utterly embarrassed at what I was actually arguing at the time because I was so ignorant. But I remember at the end of the summer, a girl's like, um, I have some books I think you would like. And so she gives me all, like, if you've ever heard the name, like Rush Dooney and uh, Greg Bonson and Gary North and these kind of guys were unashamed of. Uh, and I remember, I think it was maybe Rush Dooney or it may have been Bonson of just kind of like, yeah, you're, we're not going to, we're not going to be 
embarrass at any of God's God's law. And I remember reading that, and be like, yeah, like, and if there's an issue here, um, yeah, Lord, and if and even even I tell students at times, if you're reading the Bible, you're wrestling through it, go ahead and set it aside for a moment. You know what I mean? Like if you're like ah, and be like, or until you can get more time to delve into it, but but do the legwork. Uh, but it is like I think it's Isaiah 55 with this is one with whom I dwell. He was pouring trite and trembles at my word, and I just kind of resolve very early on in my Christian life that I'm going to tremble at this. That's not going to tremble at me. And so who am I going to go with? Western liberal democracy, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, the Republicans, Democrats. Or am I going to go with the most high God? The most reasonable thing for you to do uh, is uh, is go with God. He transcends our culture. And especially as our culture is admittedly more and more constructivistic, we should have the confidence to be like, no, I'm not going to, because there's no reason for you guys to believe what you currently believe is right or is going to be held a hundred years from now. I was, I went out to Missouri to preach one time. There was a Amnesty International was out there and there's a guy, they were protesting. Someone's going to be executed in the state of uh, Missouri and they all had their anti, um, capital punishment signs. And one of their signs says the death penalty is based on an outdated form of revenge justice. And so a guy gave a speech. He gets done. I asked him and, um, I was out there to preach and there was a pretty good crowd gathered. I just asked, I was like, your sign says, uh, death penalty is, uh, based on an outdated form of revenge justice. So it may, so one time it was just nowadays it's no longer just. If I go with you today, how do I know a hundred years from now? Our views aren't going to be outdated. He just goes, that's a good question. And, uh, oh, wow. and, and, uh, but that's, so, so what are we going to do? So, okay, there are these texts over here that are currently embarrassing in our cultural situation, but why should I have the confidence that my current cultural situation, the air that I'm in, the air I'm breathing is like, it's kind of like in the, in the 90s, you could go to, to a restaurant, you could leave there smelling like smoke. You go in, you're like, oh, it stinks. You hang out for a while, you forget it smells like that. Then you leave, you're like, oh man, we smell like smoke and you smell bad. And so, that's a little bit the environment we're in. And what we want to do is go back. No, God's word is going to transcend our culture. It's going to be true a hundred years from now. It's true a hundred years previously. It'll be true a thousand years from now, a million years from now. And Jesus says, sanctify them with your truth. Thy word is truth. So you want that absolute confidence as you go out there. And that doesn't mean you need a fundamentalist spirit. It doesn't mean you need to be a jerk about the word of God and stiff-necked about it. You can be very gracious and you can be extremely gracious with it because your confidence is in the word of God and not yourself. And once your confidence is there, you can be extremely gracious with people who have questioned it and all that sort of stuff because your hope's not in your even in your argument. You want to have good arguments. Uh, but you're like, no, I, I, that, God's word is truth. I'm going to trust it. So that that is one of the things, you know, Absolutely believe it, but hedge ever so slightly on that stiff-necked element of like, yeah, like somehow your demeanor needs to be jerky about the word of God. Uh, I, I call it having a little bit of swag. An athlete's, you know, top-notch teams, you know, they don't have to trash talk. They don't have to put down their opponent. They don't have to be arrogant. They don't have to be jerks. But somehow when they come on the court or they come on the field, they know they're the better team and they're confident they're going to go out and win. And uh, they're not ashamed of their, they're, they're proud of their team, but they don't have to be arrogant jerks. Mm-hmm. And likewise with us, we need to have that quiet, confident swag, that that sense that I know I'm on God's side. I'm on, I'm on the winner's side. I'm on the majority here. That I have, God is smarter than anybody here. His word has, has outlasted a whole lot of skeptics who thought mm-hmm. they'd disproven it. Throughout history, there's been different things arisen up that, you know, the the Bible's had its last days and the Bible's remained and all those skeptics are gone. So we can have that confidence and that humble Christian spiritual swag. Mm-hmm. Not not truth not, not trash talking. Yeah. 
But confidence. And, and I do think, and <clears throat> even like that sort of thing, and we'll wrap up and we'll discuss a bit more next week, is that, that aspect of the disposition of the preacher. And the and I remember like being a freshman, going to college, having the Bible challenge, being challenged, and I knew nothing. And so I was more like frazzled, you know what I mean? Um, but like, uh, as I've grown my confidence in the Word of God, and you know, even part of that's just from studying and being more confident, yeah, we do have answers. Um, and that was actually one of the things that helped me very early on. I would, I was in seminary, I'd go out to University of Missouri and preach once a week. And if someone asked me a question, the best thing you can say is, I don't know. Um, while you're out there, don't half bake it. There was, uh, I was preaching with a guy one time and he was totally making up an answer. So I stepped in because I was like, I can't let these people leave with such a horrible <laughs> answer. And then he, he, he wanted to rebuke me for, uh, correcting him in front of unbelievers. I was like, well, give the unbelievers good information. You know what I mean? Like, what would you rather have? You, you a little embarrassed. And so that's the thing. Like you as a preacher, it's not about you in that sense of like, oh no, don't correct me. Why would you not want to be, have them leave with right information rather than you, you being mildly embarrassed that your friend had to step in and correct the information you were giving. So that's going to tie into our character. But yeah, that element of like your confidence is that. And as you grow in your confidence with it, your character is going to develop a certain way. Because I remember my freshman year, it'd be like, oh no, they're challenging it. And, and you feel hectic and frazzled. And even as you're an open air preacher, you're plucking their fundamentalism, the, 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 LGBT stuff on campus or whatever it is, a sexual revolution that is now just the air they breathe. We're coming along and now they're de facto fundamentalists. They don't know why they believe the things they believe. They've just been given it like a religious fundamentalist who just believes the things they believe. I don't know why, just, you know, grandma, whatever. And you just, uh, whereas you as a Christian, you want to be thoughtful. You know, you're going into their environment and you're plucking their fundamentalism now and you don't, and they're going to get frazzled. And what you want to do, uh, you know, as you have confidence in the word of God, uh, you're going to be more at peace. And yeah, you'll have that humble yeah. confidence as just like, he's totally confident and yet he's humble. You know what I mean? It's like that, that weird element and people are drawn to that at the end they of the are, day. So, they are. so, well, good. That's this, uh, that, this kind of how you kind of keep them interested throughout the day. Some of the conversations we have next week, we're going to look at the character of an open air preacher because I think that's, uh, pretty vital to the issue. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Campus Preacher Podcast. If you want to reach out to me, it's Keith at CampusPreacher.com or go to CampusPreacher.com. You can also look up Tom Short at TomThePreacher.com if you want to hunt him down. So feel free to do that as well. Thank you very much. Talk to you next week.